Welcome back, everyone. This is Lucy. This is Danielle. And this is Pack Your Suit With Your Thought Fit, a podcast where we'll touch on topics from health policy, Real Housewives, pop culture, and everything in between as two 20-something-year-olds navigating this space ourselves. Hi, everyone. We are back with another episode. Today, we are touching on career, everything to do with mental health at work, workplace allyship, equal pay, negotiation skills, and then... Danielle has a really important and exciting announcement. And so she will definitely be talking to us about the job search. Why are you going to be talking to us about the job search, Danielle? Hmm, I got a new job and in the middle of the great resignation. So we will definitely get into that. I'll share as much detail as I can and help navigate the job search for everyone. Ooh, I'm very excited about that section. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, as some of you may or may not know, we are both consultants. Yes. And so we often get asked, well, what is consulting? How did we get into it? So why are you guys I'm... so self-righteous? <laughs> <laughs> how do you know how to make a PowerPoint like that? Yeah. Literally just spend every day fighting for my life on PowerPoint (laughs) and Excel. But in all seriousness, so I feel like when we met each other in grad school, I would never assume that we are both going to go into consulting, but here we are, Yeah, which is funny. And a lot of things fit into the consulting umbrella. And so I feel like I'll jump into a little bit of what it is overall. And you're going to be like, wow, that's the most vague thing. And it's like, Yeah, that's true. Um. (laughs) So let's say there's a patient. In this case, the patient is an organization, an institution, or a nonprofit. In other words, the client. This patient goes to their primary care physician because they're not feeling well. They have some sort of idea about what the problem is, can tell the doctor all of their symptoms, and want help in getting to the bottom of what it really is and what they can do to solve it. Mm -hmm. So the doctor takes the information that the patient gives them, their symptoms, but then also does their own research on their own medical history, other patients who are similar to them, and comes back to the patient with a diagnosis. Now this is, you know, what they think that the problem is. Primary care physician is the consultant. Mm -hmm. And what they can do as a consulting firm is bring a team together that's made up of specialists. And these specialists all have different expertise, perspectives, and skill sets to help solve whatever the problem is. Because a lot of the times the problem is pretty complex and has a lot of different solutions. Mm -hmm. Potential solutions, yeah. Yes, potential solutions. As with the patient and physician relationship, Trust is really important. A big part of what consulting is, is building buy-in from the client or the patient in this analogy to trust you that you are providing them with the best perspective and the skill sets to make the solution happen. But you need the patient 
to take their medications, to do the exercises. Just like as consultants, you need the organization or the institution and the teams that make up these organizations to do their part as well in implementing the solution, whether that is telling their team about it, getting everyone to play their role, staying on track, staying on the timeline, staying mm-hmm. within the budget. Attending the meetings you need them to attend. Yes. And providing the information they need to provide. So in a nutshell, that's how I would explain what consulting is. I love it. As a third party, you know, I think that there's a lot of complicated dynamics there. Um, but a lot mm-hmm. of the times you can bring perspective into a client space where like a lot of people have been there for a long time or are used to sort of this one client, whereas like consultants bring a broad range of knowledge from different types of clients and then can sort of tailor that to their needs. Yeah. Yeah. So Danielle, how did you get into consulting? So um, I got to give a shout out to a friend from grad school. Um, So I, a friend of mine, um, had been talking to a company and she just wasn't interested in moving to DC for this job, which was a requirement at the time. And she was like, hey, you may be interested. Let me pass it along. Um, and that's kind of how it happened. It happened relatively quickly in that my friend passed my resume to a hiring manager at the company. Um, I did a phone screen. I think a few rounds of in-person interviews, what a time that was back in 2019. Um, and then I was offered the job at the end of that. But it, um, it was more of a behavioral type interview and it was kind of like any other job you would apply to. But that is my experience. Lucy, how did you get into consulting? I did my internship between our first and second year of grad school. Um, And so at the end of the summer internship, if you would like to stay in as a full-time employee, they do give you an offer. And so I took that offer and returned full-time now coming up on two years ago. So I went sort of the on-campus recruitment route, which I feel like is pretty common through undergrad and grad schools. Um, So like the firms will come into the schools and either offer internships which lead to full-time or do full-time recruitment. Um, So I feel like that's a pretty common way that people get into consulting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although now I'm just seeing like there are other ways that people are getting into it. Like once they've been in the field, like people coming from clients, honestly, or like from hospitals (laughs) or really specific areas to sort of come and bring their subject matter expertise to the firm that does a more like broad range of clients yeah and I would say the like the differing factor is like entry level versus experienced so when you're more of an entry level person even if you have a year or two of work experience under your belt you would probably still be hired under some sort of um entry level, more junior staff position, which is, I think, a more rigorous recruiting process. So, you know, it could be on campus, it could be case interviews, you know, a lot of rigmarole jumping through hoops versus if you are more of an experienced hire that comes from industry, that comes from another consulting firm. Um, I don't think that is as, it's as tough. 
because you have that experience. You, you can say, I've been client facing, I delivered this. You know, you talk about all of your really positive attributes and the impact that you've been able to get to pass to your clients or the teams that you've been on. And that's really a way to kind of get ushered in as well. Yeah, that's a great point, Danielle. And I think that I had to do case interviews and behavioral interviews, and they're just like a totally different ball game. Um, we were talking about them earlier today. I have um, never <laughs> passed a case interview. So <laughs> I've done three now and I've just been like, um, what is this? So if it's a skill that you're able to learn, is that's the thing. And it's, de- it's a definitely a learnable skill. Yes. I haven't learned it for whatever reason, but it's definitely learnable. Yes. And I feel like in that vein, a lot of people, once you're in consulting, like there's a lot of networking involved in getting into the firm if if that's something that you're trying to do outside of the traditional channels. Um, so a lot of it is like word of mouth and, you know, sort of recruitment of other people. So in that vein, what is the best work advice you would give to someone? Oh, you know, I thought about this and um, recognizing that I've now that I've somehow crossed into more of an experienced employee. Yes, she has. Um, I will say it is to ask questions uh, when you have a question, and don't let anyone think that a question's stupid because if you need to, if you knew, you wouldn't ask. Um, but I, but I think the better advice or the asterisk to asking questions is to give something give people something to react to. So if you kind of like, you know, when you would work on your math homework, if you do the best you can to kind of start solving the problem, um, and then you're like, oh man, I'm kind of stuck on this one place. I'm stuck on how to phrase this, or I'm stuck on why we're doing this or how, at least you can show someone the work. You can show someone your thought process for how you got to where you are. So then they can help figure out what's next or who who to go talk to or, anything of that sort, but definitely ask good questions, ask questions so that you know what's, what the hell's going on. Yeah, I think that one's so important too. And especially because a lot of the time in consulting, it's like very team-based, like there's a hierarchy involved. So like people with more experience are sort of like overseeing you, but it really is like a team sport in a lot of ways where like mm-hmm. you all have to deliver something. And so like it's in their best interest to answer your questions so that you're able to do it the best possible and I will say consulting is a lot of like internal plagiarism <laughs> so in but and what I mean by this is that there's just a lot of templates and a lot of use cases and a lot of materials that already exist within the firm and you know within the client maybe even that like you can use as a starting point so I just feel like it's in your best in interest to sort of ask questions or ask oh is there if you're asking me to do x is there a template you have in mind or you know one that you've liked before you know if you're doing like if you're doing you know using like an excel formula there just are so many templates that we use to get started yeah and like one one additional note I'd add to that is like the more, when you're able to ask your client questions like that, or even ask your manager, you know, anyone on your team, your, your consulting team or the client, if it's appropriate to ask them questions about this, it kind of shows that you are thinking beyond what's just in front of you. And it helps show other people that you're critically trying to solve this problem. 
So it looks good on you to ask good questions as well. And I think the two um, pieces of advice that I would give, I can never remember who told me this, but if it's you and <laughs> I'm forgetting, then my bad, please reach out to me about it. But someone once told me to keep an impact log and mm-hmm. it's just like been such a great piece of advice and it makes it really easy when you have like performance year end reviews to like capture your impact but then also like if you are looking for a new job or have to update your resume for some reason for your like current job it makes it really easy to do because you're like okay wow these are tangibly the things that I've been accomplishing things that I've been doing so for the impact log it can be written on a notebook you could, you know, put it in your OneNote, whatever. And it's basically just a place where you're tracking the different activities that you do, the different impact you've done, like any compliments you've gotten, um, you know, you could save it as a PDF and attach it there, mm-hmm. um, any awards you've won, or just like different, um, yeah, things that you've accomplished, um, or things that you've learned how to do. And typically, I break it down, like my client work, and then anything like the extracurriculars we do, like firm initiatives. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just like if I'm mentoring someone, just having that as a tab as well, just myself as a advisor or as a coach or whatever it may be. And I think that, you know, you can just carry the impact log with you throughout any type of job you have. So it's like not even consulting specific, but I think it's really important to even put a little placeholder on your calendar, like 15 minutes on a Friday and be like, okay, what did you do this week? What did you accomplish? What are you working on? Just to maybe track I, those things. Maybe I, I did get that from you because I definitely had a calendar reminder every Friday, mm-hmm. like 30 minutes in the morning. Just what have you, t- what have you done this week? And, you know, I did not always do it because mess, but um, <laughs> I was a mess present tense I'm not a mess I was a mess at some point um but yeah it's just it's a good thing to do and just it's, it can make you feel good too to know that you've done something well any other advice yes. I would also say ask for feedback early and often I feel like I really struggled with this because a lot of times I would just be like okay I want to figure out myself and then like I'll come to them if it's like, I really, really need a lot of help or like once it's all done, said and done, like, you know, it'll either be what they ask for or not. I feel like it can just be really hard to get true feedback from people. Cause a lot of the times they just want to tell you like, oh, good job or thank you for this. Um, but sort of to piggyback off of what Danielle was saying about giving people something to react to, like, asking for feedback in the moment, like, okay, is this what you were looking for? Like, oh, how did this go? Like, how can I improve this? Because when you ask more pointed questions, you can get more of that real feedback versus like, great job. Like, thanks for the slides today. It's like, okay, but was there anything I could work on? Like anything you really liked or didn't like? And just making sure that you are getting that feedback. So A, there's no surprises when you come to year end and people are saying something different. which can happen, Mm -hmm. but B, you're constantly like improving yourself and not wasting your own time. Yeah, that's that's very true. I like that, I like that. 
So on top of um, the work, the client work that you were talking about doing, you mentioned the extracurricular activities. And I think this kind of gets into like the networking that you were talking about. And a part of networking too is like workplace allyship. Um, what has your experience been like with like workplace allyship and how did you find your people? And what does that mean for you actually? I am in a funny way. I always joke about this actually with my friends. I just abide by the rule that like the people at work are not my little friends. <laughs> <laughs> so similar to how I was not my mom's little friend. Um, <laughs> The people at work are not my little friends. Um, I will say I have gotten friendly with people at work. I think what Danielle is getting at with like finding your people at work. Um, you know, I think a lot of times you can do that through these sort of like firm initiatives where you're like, okay, we both deeply care about health equity or we both deeply care about like the um, Latinx, you know, employee resource group. Mm -hmm. You know, we do have sort of this ground um, to work from and people at work, know better than anyone what you're going through you know yeah but I think that the caveat there for me is that people also have their own best interests and so you have to like be careful when towing the line of like are you gossiping like are you venting to someone who can then use that against you mm -hmm. uh, we could talk about trust issues but I just feel like yeah there is sort of you know some space I want to have with people at work in terms of those things but I feel like I've definitely gotten friendly with people who are younger, um, you know, and I just feel like mm -hmm. we connect on for a lot of other things. But I think my two cents there would be to find your people at work who can help you advocate for yourself. Yes. So whether that's a manager, a coach, a supervisor, um, who knows you, who knows your work um, and can really be vocal because there is something to be said for the hierarchy. You know, your manager can say things to people that you don't necessarily have the opportunity to say. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to sort of find your advocates in that space and to hold them accountable, which can be really tough. But to me, a workplace ally an advocate is someone who shows up for people. And so yeah. if that's like a white woman who's my supervisor, like, yeah, if you feel like people are talking over the black woman on the team or disrespecting someone based on their identity, I just feel like it is white people's place and also higher ups' place mm -hmm. to really be the ones to speak up because the junior staff has a lot more to lose. And so way more to lose, especially so, if you identify with any minoritized group or groups. Exactly. So it's important to just hold people accountable. And I hope that's the takeaway that people like, okay, if I'm a manager, like these are the things I could do to step up for mm -hmm. junior staff and make sure you find your people outside of work. So I feel like what's been really great about my friendship with Danielle um, is that since we are in a similar industry like I can bounce things off of her in a safe way she's not at the same company that I am and we could give each other real advice but also have that like separation of like okay she's my real life friend and I know <laughs> that she will respect that yeah yeah I I think you know just kind of going off what you're saying definitely finding the right people 
the, <laughs> yes. the best people to be your ally, but most importantly, to be your advocate. And, you know, I think it's very intimidating. It can be intimidating to find um, that, to make someone your advocate that is a coach or a mentor or someone in more senior leadership, but it's so crucial because sometimes, especially at my firm at the time that where I was at, um, they were the people in the room where the conversations around promotion and, you know, performance were happening. I wasn't allowed in those rooms and somebody else had to speak on my behalf. So, you know, these are not the people that you necessarily make friends, but you, you have some sort of rapport you're friendly with and you're able to raise things to their attention to help you navigate. And this is an, an, another person or people that you would go to with where you kind of give them something to react to. You say, well, I may have been having this issue. This is how I've tried to solve it. This is, these are the things that I've done thus far. Can you give me any advice or tips for how to not have this happen again or how to navigate it moving forward or currently? Um, so it's, it can be challenging, but it's really important to find at least one or two people that can, that can be on your side and help you through the workplace things. And um, the only like unsolicited advice I'd say is try not to vent to these people, try to be solution oriented when you approach them, um, but also hold them accountable. Like one of my mentors, coaches, managers, um, he played that role altogether. He, without giving too much detail, he basically like didn't tell me something important until the week of, and then he was out, he left. And I, when I talked to him, I was like, you didn't even say anything until the week of. And he was like, oh yeah, you're right. I probably should have emailed to say, this is my replacement in my absence. This is, you know, if you need anything, this and the other, you know, maybe not everyone is as, is as receptive to that kind of critical feedback, but I'm glad to know that at least he was and that we had built that rapport over the last year or so to be able to have that conversation. Are there any ways that you're being intentional, intentional about how to build that in your new role? Ooh, um, yeah, so something, so I just started a new job, like it's been about a week now and something that I will have to do in the next, within the next, uh, probably, with the, probably at the, the month mark is have a meeting and schedule time with my official manager and just kind of doing what you're, what you said, ask for feedback, uh, you know, make sure I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, seeing if there's any room for improvement that I can focus on for the next 30 to 60 days. Um, because I know at my new company, there's a quote unquote probationary period for the first 90 days. But also it's just kind of, to me, it's a crucial time in a new job and a new role where you, you kind of establish yourself and your, your, your reputation as to the kind of work that you do, how you communicate, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you kind of just want to build a good foundation. So I think I'm going to talk to that man, you know, schedule time with that manager, check in to see how, how he thinks I'm doing, seeing, you know, bringing to him any things that I um, may want to improve upon or really focus on the next bit of time and then kind of go from there. But at least, you know, get that process started so that when I do reach out to him for end of year performance or when I do reach out for whatever, I'm not being surprised and being told your work has been trash for the last six months. <laughs> and yeah, we're just now telling you and like, yeah, you're, we're, you're at the end of your rope type thing. 
need to avoid that. To be fair, I don't think would happen. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, but Work has you, been trash. Never know. I'm very interested to see how your role evolves, especially like in this like virtual environment um, that we've been in. What are sort of tips or advice you have around like maintaining your mental health at work? Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I think my biggest is um, just from trying to not take things personally. Mm. Um, especially in the consulting world, you are the customer is always right. And the customer in this case is the client. So basically, no matter what you do, you have to make sure that you kind of satisfy their needs and what they you know, are looking for because they signed very uh, high dollar contracts with the organization. So it is really our job to keep them sat satisfied. There are things that someone may ask you to change about how you work with the client, how you do your work. Just try not to take it personally. Doing a lot of like self-care. And for me, self-care self -care includes conversations with friends, getting good sleep and going to therapy. Take that as a therapy. It's covered by your cope. Like you have, if you have a job and you're doing okay financially, invest in yourself, spend the money to go to therapy. It is so worth it. Here, here. I totally agree with that. And to the point of copay and your benefits, also look into your benefits in a complete sort of way. I feel like they really be a lot of benefits that you don't take advantage of mm -hmm. um, you, you don't even know you have or that like your company especially at larger companies I will say this but I feel like smaller companies who are being very intentional about well-being so it's like a the different things that are covered within your health insurance but then b like all of these different like initiatives that firms have or different like sponsorships that they have with um, different companies to like get you you know, discounts on workout classes or different discounts on apps like the Calm app and things like that. So I would just advocate for looking into sort of your benefits and any like employee discounts that you get, which could be useful for this um, sort of mental health component. Yeah. And I plus one on the therapy. I personally think exercise is a big one um, or anything wellness related whether that's meditation for someone getting fresh air especially now that the um, it gets dark so early trying to get outside is being been a big one oh, yeah. um, so I try to talk to my own team um, and we have like a wellness block so every day like you put it on the calendar you're sort of like out of office and you could go for a walk um People have been taking more walking meetings, mm, um, okay. which I think is nice. Like if, especially if you only have to listen, if you're in listen only mode, it could be pretty easy, but also just like for check-ins and stuff. That's a little difficult in New York city, but <laughs> <laughs> I at I least try imagine. to get outside. <laughs> yeah. Ever since grad school, Lucy was always the person that maintained a workout routine, maintained like some sort of physical activity. Um, like we would study and be like, all right, I'm going to go to the gym, shower and come, I'll, I'll be back in two hours. But like, I just need to go do this, clear my head and come back. And I always tell Lucy, you know, she, she knows things and it, it, it really does work. Like in my previous role, I didn't even have time to even eat. 
um, away from my desk. Yeah. I didn't have a lunch, um, a protected lunchtime, but in this new role, and it's only like a weekend, I was able to, to take a walk one day during the, the work day. And I just felt so good. It was nice getting fresh air. It was nice stretching my legs for 20 minutes. And then just coming back and like, focusing on the work instead of trying to will myself to focus on the work. It was just like, I've cleared my head. I can just do what I need to do and move forward. And we have a note here, but I really, this should be a reminder to myself. It's like the Spider-Man meme where they're <laughs> at each other, but use your PTO. Use that thing. Prepare the others. You're not going to be there. Don't okay. be there. Yes. And I just feel like it is really hard for me because then you're like, no, this is a busy time. Like sometimes it's so annoying to come back from PTO and you had 3000 things that mm -hmm. no one could figure out how to do. And you're like, wow, that's what I do in a morning. Like, I don't know why oh. you left all of this for me. <laughs> but okay. I oh. see y'all. Um, but in spite of that, people should still take their PTO because um, y'all work will not love you back you need to take your PTO and be with your people do things that you really want to do I have a rule I don't work on my birthday um I don't care what day of the week it is I'm not gonna <laughs> be there so <laughs> best of luck to y'all I'm gonna be away uh do you so tell people it's your birthday they'll figure it out eventually I mean I err on the side of no <laughs> I think when I was more junior, like years ago, when I just didn't know, know better, I think I would. Now I'm a little bit quieter because also I don't want people asking me my age to invalidate my experiences and what the hell I already know. So <laughs> um, I do try to be like, no, nah, I'm just going to be away. I'm going to be off. Um, but last, like 2020, when I tried that, someone, my friend, my coworkers brought in a birthday cake. So it kind of ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> but I was able to go on my birthday trip and I right before the Ronies started so that was I was okay with it looking back you I'm okay did with it. that was so fun that was it was a good time if I um I'm like so glad I was able to get back into the country before <laughs> it shut down because had it been a week later I would have been stuck in Cancun imagine I mean, not a bad place to be stuck, but still. The resort was really nice. I would have, you know, I would have bonded with the staff. I would have probably become the staff. <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford to live here. So, um, but yeah, it was cool. Yes. And to put a bow on it, we will add it to the notes for this episode. But if you haven't read The Work You Do, The Person You Are by Toni Morrison, I feel like you really should. I tried to read it like every so often to really center myself and just constantly remember, you know, you are not the work you do. You are the person you are. Speak on it. Preach. Preach. But one of Danielle's many skills is that she is where the money resides. <laughs> <laughs> but um, real talk. <laughs> In grad school, you really were like so knowledgeable about like negotiation skills and pay transparency. I will pass it over to you to give us some wisdom on those topics. Why, thank you. Why, thank you. Um, get your money. 
<laughs> point blank period bluff bottom line up front i'm gonna teach you some consulting acronyms bluff bottom line up front get your money you are there to do a job you are you are trading your body for money which also let's speak very positively of other people that make that choice doing things that you don't want to do you know that you may not want to do including sex work but we're all doing the same thing. We are trading our time, our body, our energy, our capacity for money. So make sure you, you get what you feel like you are due. And there are ways to do that. Um, something that I find really helpful and I really wanna, you know, all praises to Lucy. Um, we have, she is someone that has been very transparent with salary with me and I have been, I've returned that favor to her. Um, because I think it's really important that if you're comfortable with doing ha having these, these conversations with your friends, especially if you're in the same industry, to know what you're worth and at other companies, know, know what you should be asking for. As two women of color, you know, our salaries may be lowered based on the, the, the racial and gender biases that exist right now. So if there's an opportunity, if you have um, a friend or someone that you know that's in a more dominant racial and or gender group, such as a white man, talk to him, see what he's getting paid. Cause you might, you might be surprised what is actually possible for the role that you be, that you're looking at or the role that you're already actually doing. So those are, you know, some tips that I that I have for like conversations with people, but something else is to also go on Glassdoor and Payscale, which are, um, which will include in the, in the, the description of this episode where you can learn about what is actually the range for that, for the years of experience, for your location, for that organization, for that title, um, just so that you are going to conversations knowing what is possible for yourself, but also um, how to get there. <clears throat> Especially, excuse me, if you're going for more of a role that is a promotion, just, just so that you know, would you add anything to that? No, I think you're so right about all that. It reminds me of the Insecure episode where Molly finds out her co-worker's salary because she got the wrong, like, pay stub. Oh, yeah. So, Listen, you never know. You never know. You never know, which I'll get into with the job search. It's worth it to know your value in the market, especially right now in what a lot of people are calling the great resignation. People, It is an employee's market in the way that it's a home sellers market people you're you can get you this is a time that this is an opportunity to get what you what you are due um financially from these jobs because they seem to be scrambling there's a labor shortage so they say some people say it's true some people say it's not whatever um, but companies are looking to hire people companies are waiving some of the requirements that they used to have um, to get people in the door to do the work that needs to get done. Com you know, teams are short staff. So use this as a really good opportunity to put yourself out there, especially on LinkedIn. Apply to jobs that you may be interested in, maybe have a, con a recruiter contact you and hear what the going rate is for your, for your current role or what you may be looking at and see if that's enticing enough to jump ship. I shouldn't say it like that, but to try yes. something else. 
Yes. And I will say one point to the negotiation skills in a lot of these roles and like knowing that it's sort of an employee market is like preparing for those conversations. So I feel like Danielle and I have done it. Um, We've done it like with other folks in grad school. Um, And it's just like really about having your own talking points. Okay. This is my value. This is what I add. This is my relevant experience. Mm -hmm. If you're under 26, which we no longer are, unfortunately, but, you know, I'm still on my parents' health insurance, so you don't have to pay for my health insurance because that can be sort of a bump to your base salary. Thinking through some of the things that they are throwing at you. So if it's a signing bonus, Mm -hmm. um, those get taxed heavily. So thinking about like how that can factor into your base salary instead Mm -hmm. um, and just having those talking points really prepared, written out, especially now in the age of Zoom, you can have it on the side if you want to. Mm-hmm. And then once you have that prepared on paper, also practicing. Like, I feel like the group of us would really like practice with one another. Like, okay, well, this is what they might say to you. Like, well, okay, maybe you shouldn't say it like that. And like, wait, what about this? Cause sometimes you forget your own impact. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait, what about this thing that you did? Or you could spin this because you really did. It may not be relevant on paper, but you had this really relevant experience there because you were a manager or because, you know, you have this one skill in terms of like data. You've worked with this obscure client before and you have that experience that you can take to this new project. Anything, you know, think of anything that you think that you can show, continue showing your value to this organization and team. Yep. And have a tangible number in mind. So I feel like with a lot of those tips that Danielle mentioned about the value, like if they're offering you 90,000, but you really want to go for 120, that might not be what you get, but having that number in mind and the reasons why you think that number is appropriate Mm -hmm. really is part of the preparation for those negotiation talks. Yeah. Definitely have a baseline of like, I can't like, you know, you don't have to say it out loud. Yeah. Just be like, all right, they're offering 90. I really want 120. I won't go lower than 110. Going into those com- those conversations, having already thought through some things is really helpful. And I think it can help calm your nerves as you have these conversations. It is not easy to talk about mm-hmm. money. It's not easy to talk about anything with a recruiter at times. It's because, you know, it, it, it feels vulnerable. It feels like you don't really know what you're stepping into, who you're talking to, especially if it's all over the phone. So doing a lot of this prep work before it can really empower you to speak confidently. I believe in y'all. Yes. And with that being said, what are your tips, tricks, everything around the job search since you just did it now, you know, virtually during this pandemic? What do we need to know? Firstly, I think it is decide what you want to do in your next role. And a part of that is deciding what you don't like about your current role, what you don't, what you don't want to do again versus what you like doing, what you want to keep doing, some skills that you hope to gain in this next role. Just knowing these things. So as you look for jobs, as you talk to people, you can kind of, you can better tell people what you're looking for. Number two, network, network, network. Use, talk to your friends, talk to your colleagues, talk to any, you know, anyone that if you're in some sort of affinity group, um, not at work, some sort of professional organization that you're interested in, that you are a part of, talk to those people. 
and mention you're looking for a job, some things that you're looking to do, and they can help, you know, word of mouth really gets, really can go far these days. So they may be able to help usher you in front of the right people early on. But I also say, if you don't know a lot of people in this new area, this new company, use LinkedIn wisely. So I have two points for that, um, really three. So one, this is about how you search on LinkedIn. So a career advisor from grad school told, taught me this. She said to um, in the search, kind of do like a Boolean search of a job title that you're really interested in um, with the plus sign and then like the school that you went to or a company that you are interested in working at or, may, or yeah, just to see who you may know in your secondary and tertiary networks or, you know, social circles from all the years ago that may already have that role at that company that you want to do or have gone to school where you went to school and, you know, have an in. I think two, you may want to cold email some of those people and see if you can talk to them about, about the role and they can, you know, if conversation goes well, they can maybe tell you who the hiring manager is, pass your resume off to them, maybe even refer you officially, which is really a beneficial thing for both people, you as the job seeker and them as the employee, because oftentimes people don't say this, companies will give um, the employee a bonus for helping them recruit people. So it's really is beneficial to have these conversations with people. But then three, I would say for using LinkedIn wisely is um, the, there's a feature now that you can say that you're looking for a job and it will kind of put a ring around your name. And depending on if you don't care, <laughs> uh, you can set it so that anyone who sees your profile can see that you're looking for a job, but then you can also set it, set it so that only recruiters or very specific people can see that you're open to employment. Um, I'll be very honest with you. That's how I found my current job now is that I put that feature on and a recruiter came to me. So you never know. I think it's really an effort. You really have to keep trying all the things. And to me, a job search is kind of like dating and that it's a numbers game. You have to, you have to, to play the play to win. So put yourself out there, update your resume, update your LinkedIn, talk about any professional certifications you have, you know, look for some keywords in your industry make sure you include them on your LinkedIn profile so that when recruiters are looking, they can find you very easily. Do your background into the job. And also remember that while they are interviewing you for the role, you're also interviewing them to see if this is an environment that you want to be in. If they're calling this this company, you know, this team a family, run. If they're asking if you if, if you can work in a high-paced environment with little direction, run. You know what that means? They are disorganized as hell. They don't know what the hell is going on over there, you know. So if some of those things kind of jump out at you, pay attention. If you feel the interview process, um, how people were speaking to you or lack of communication feels not quite right for yourself, make note of that to yourself and decide, is this a, is this a company that I want to work at? One that is ghosting me or one that um, said they'd reach out to me in two weeks and it's been four and I haven't heard anything or, you know, or is it a company that's putting me through 17 rounds of interviews? you know, decide if this is the kind of company that you want to work for. And then after you do secure the bag, celebrate yourself. You've, you've done a really tough thing. It is very challenging to look for a job. It is, it can be demoralizing. It can just be very tiring, tweaking your resume, doing the cover letters, applying, you know, 
re-entering the same information you just put on your resume into their their employee system it's it can be very taxing so when you get to the other side and you secure that offer really celebrate yourself because it has been it, it can be really tough and it's so worth it when you feel as if you can you can rest knowing that you got a got a job that you like that you're interested in and that you're excited to kind of go into i know you're not as recent in the job search market but would you add anything I mean, I feel like you gave a super comprehensive answer. I think the only thing I would add is doing some of the self-reflection work to to really know what you're looking for in the next role. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the time in between you leaving your current job to your next job, that self-reflection work should be happening and also you should be implementing it. So if you're like, okay, I really want to have this project management skill and you can get it at your current job, get Mm -hmm. it as you move to the next job. Or, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm seeing that the job roles that I really want have this type of experience or work with this type of client or do this type of activity. If you can get those at your current job and build your resume in a way that's strategic for the next role you're looking for, I feel like that's a really good thing to do and get the most out of your current job before moving on to a new opportunity. Especially if they're paying for it. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Because a lot of times, yeah, exactly. They cover like certifications, even if you want to get one of those. Tell your superior and they may be able to help you get that opportunity that you can add to your resume. And then when you're ready to go, you go, (laughs) you peace out. So I hope some of this is helpful. I hope most of this has been helpful. This has all been stuff that I've used that I will continue to use. I hope it can be helpful to somebody else as well. So that is it from us on everything, jobs, careers, money. (laughs) Get your money. (laughs) We will talk to everyone soon. Yes, y'all, y'all be well.